This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter. Scott Eklund, we are high above Husky... Stadium, Alaska Airlines Field at about the 45-50 yard line in the visiting coach's box, and uh, it is still coming down, but uh, Oregon defeated Washington 26-16 in front of an announced attendance of 63,193, and I thought it was interesting uh, on the uh, box score, it said weather and it said cloudy. I wish it was cloudy because, uh, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. The rain today was just pretty much relentless. And when it comes to water, the water's still undefeated. So, um, but just, a, you know, Washington with that early momentum, not able to do anything. And there was just so many things in that first half that were just strange and bizarre. But, you know, Washington jumps out to an early lead when uh, Carson Bruner almost had a pick six, Chris. Yes, he did. Um, for people that kind of watched the highlights of Stanford, uh, the Oregon game when they lost to Stanford, um, Anthony Brown had almost the same kind of play where he didn't see one of the linemen come out on his own blitz and was able to pick it right off. I mean, like it was thrown to him. And it sure looked like Carson Bruner kind of goaded him into seeing something that maybe he didn't see. And, yeah, I thought as soon as he picked it off, I thought he was gone for sure. But, you know, they were able to score. That was fine. And then to Jackson Sermon's credit, he gets the safety, which, again, I thought it was one of those where usually the referees are bound and determined to give the offense the benefit of the doubt at the goal line. But they didn't. I mean, they upheld it, which, you know, it, it was the right call. It was the right call as long yeah. as that was the ruling on the field. You, there was not enough to overturn something like that, which was fine. Um, but after that, I mean, you know, there were so many kind of give up plays on offense, so many plays where they had third and fourth down of like three or less, and I counted them. I think there was, they ended up having like six of them all together. And if you take out the two that were at the one or two yard line to score, Washington was one of six on third and fourth downs of three or less, including the Wildcat with Sean McGrew, including, uh, you know, uh, I think Kayvon Thibodeau stopped McGrew for a two-yard gain on a third and three. Um, There was just – it just was very, very – very poor offense, extremely poor offense. Washington with great field position almost the entire first half, and they weren't able to score. They, I mean, they just couldn't do anything when they were being gifted phenomenal field position and yeah. the defense giving them great field yeah, position. Yeah, that, that, that definitely hurt them. I mean, you, you could say, and people were saying it on the board, that if Washington had even a competent offense at this point, they would, they would have at the minimum have had 17 points. In, in the first half, and they only had, and they only had nine. And you know, there's someone you could, uh, there's a way you could argue that they could have had 24 points at some point. So, 
Um, you know, Washington, and, and that just that changes the dynamic of that game. Oregon isn't able to just run the ball down their throat for uh, what did they run like twelve straight running plays? Is that what they somebody said in the in the yeah, in the room? I mean, and then for there some was no reason, reason for them they not decided to. to pass, and then that ended up being the one time they punted. Yeah, you know, in that third quarter, and and it was, it, I mean, honestly, normally I would say a team where Washington's at right now. They lose by 10 points to a pretty good team that went into Ohio State and beat Ohio State by seven. And you're excited. You're like, hey, we're not that far away. We had some plays. But if you look at all the missed opportunities that Washington had and the fact that they, you know, they weren't able to even muster any kind of competent offense to do anything, this, this game had much more, is much more maddening than you would think a 10-point loss to the number four team in the country would be. I get tired of overused cliches. You know, and the one of them that drives me nuts is the definition of insanity, right? It drives me nuts when people bring that up because it's so overused. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but you can't run between the tackles with eight and nine men in the box and expect something different to happen. It's They've been doing it all year, and it's just like... Our guys are tougher than your guys, and we're going to continue to do it, you know. And they had 55 yards rushing tonight, you know, which is nothing. Sean McGrew, um, 15 carries for 48 yards. They're just not able to run the ball. And then they just continue to run it up the middle. There's not a lot of variety in the offense. And then you let Dylan Morris throw it. I don't know what he was thinking throwing into triple Triple coverage. coverage, I mean, my, my guess is, he, well, because it was Kayvon Thibodeau that had slid out into the flat um, to cover the, help cover that route. And I think Dylan decided he was going to throw it. And as he's throwing it, he saw Kayvon underneath. So he wasn't going to be able to throw it directly to the receiver. So then he tries to throw it over, and it goes way over, and it goes to the safety. Up over the top. It, I, I mean, I, I, we saw, I was standing next to Elise Woodward, and the minute he let... I mean, Elise is going, no, no, no. And yeah. he throws the ball, you know, and it was just, not only did he throw into tip, triple coverage, but he underthrew it, threw it with, with no chance for the guy to catch it, you know, and it was underthrown and just everything. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, for the life of me, I'm just flummoxed, baffled on what's going on with this offensive line where, you know, it just seems like they can't get two or three yards if they need it to save their lives. Well, and also, why are you running a 175-pound guy between the tackles when you've got JV on Sunday that you could use? You've got Caleb Berry you could use if you wanted to. Um, they've got bigger backs. If you don't have Richard Newton available, which you didn't. He was not dressed. If, if Kamari Pleasant is that banged up where he's not available, you still have guys behind him. This this running back group was supposedly eight deep or seven deep with all sorts of talent. Even even if you've lost a couple guys and you're bound and determined to try to run between the tackles and run these trap plays and these counters or whatever you want to do, why are you doing it with the smallest guy in your lineup? Is stubborn a word that comes to mind? Well, that's where you brought up the idea of insanity. They're trying to do the same things over and over and over and expecting somehow that it's going to become some something different than what their identity has been for the entire season. Their enti- the entire season they haven't been able to do those things. And now all of a sudden they're going up against the top four team in the country. And I'm not saying Oregon is, that, is, is, is Georgia on defense or anything, but they have a decent you know, scoring defense. They're top three in the Pac-12 in scoring defense, even if they're 
middle of the pack in terms of total defense. Still, all that said, they didn't try to do a lot of things outside because of the speed element. They didn't do a lot of misdirection. And when they were able to find some guys open down the field, you know, some of the most sure-handed guys like Kate Otten at the very end there in the fourth quarter on that one drive just drops a pass that could have gone easily for 10 yards more downfield. And, you know, that's when they needed the drive when they were down eight and could have, you know, <laughs> it's so weird because at that time I think that they had accumulated like 160 yards of total offense for the entire game, yet they were literally within one score of tying the game, which is which is almost, that's insane to me. Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, trying to run it with eight and nine guys in the box, their passing game, I mean, Jalen McMillan, was, you know, and Kate Otten, but Jalen McMillan, who's your downfield threat, he's got four catches for 22 yards. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because they're, not, they're still not throwing over the middle. They're still not throwing it downfield. Um, well, to give um, Tim DeRuiter credit, he, he really stacked the box and was really bringing heat. I mean, there was, there was a lot of times when they were bringing five or six, or they would disguise it and they would show five or six and maybe only bring three or four. But they, even if they were just bringing three or four, they still had enough pressure to take Dylan Morris off of his spot and make life difficult for him. Dylan's having a tough time seeing through windows. And the other thing is Dylan's not the biggest guy. You know, and people want to talk about Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson isn't a big guy either. But if you take a look at Russell Wilson's throwing motion, he's throwing that by that ball, and his release is really high. And when you take a look at Dylan Morris, I mean, he's throwing about equivalent to where – his neck is and almost everything he's throwing is sidearm mm-hmm. so he can't hit those windows like somebody that maybe a little bit bigger is yeah I, I mean he's he's struggling there's no there's no question about it I I I don't know if Sam is going to give you a better shot to win but obviously the coaches don't think that's See, ultimately the case. that's my feeling my feeling yeah. is I absolutely believe Sam Heward deserves a shot and when Jimmy Lake said that Sam Heward was going to get opportunities to play at Arizona, I'm not sure where that went. That is that all of a sudden just something that was good for that week and not good for any of these other weeks going forward? Because, yes, I, I think when it, when it comes down to it, I don't think necessarily that Sam Heward is going to provide them some sort of miracle spark, some sort of, of, of um, performance that's all of a sudden going to bring them from the depths because fundamentally – they are an incredibly flawed offense with a really bad performing offensive line, running backs that are really finding it hard to find any joy, and a receiving core that's hit and miss at best. Well, so, you, I don't know. You know, you, you can't burn Sam Heward's red shirt now. You can't do it. It would be criminal to do it. But you've got a quarterback on the roster that in spring ball, it could be argued by a lot of us that saw the spring balls that, boy, that competition between him and Dylan Morris was neck and neck. Um, you know, and he started, Patrick O'Brien has started a lot of games. And as bad as Dylan is playing, you continue to throw him out there and he continues to struggle. You've got a quarterback with experience there. and It doesn't have to be Sam Heward, but I'm not a big believer in changing quarterbacks to change quarterbacks. But Dylan Morris, I, I mean, if you're going to run the same plays with Patrick O'Brien, are you going to get any difference of a And of I a agree, result? the idea of changing quarterbacks – I. I'm not sure changing quarterbacks is going to necessarily give you the desired result that you're looking for, but I'm still wondering where this idea of getting these these extra series for these quarterbacks, because, again, 
we were talking about Sam Heward in the Arizona game, but why couldn't it be Patrick O'Brien for this game? Where has he, you know, what are the conversations like between him and his parents oh. after every game? After, let's oh, yeah. see Patrick O'Brien's family see that performance by Dylan Morris and going, what does my kid have to do to get on the, get on the field to play? Chris, I mean, am I off base in the competition in the spring? You could have been, I mean, I thought it was. I'm trying to wonder where the equal opportunity employer went. This, yeah. is, this is Jimmy Lake talking about, I'm an equal opportunity employer. If you're, if you're showing me that you can get the job done, then I'm going to put you out there. Well, it's inherently stacked against the backup quarterbacks, by and large, because they're only getting maybe 20 to 25% of the first team reps at best during a practice week. So, they're, I mean, they're trying to, to prep their starter, and rightly so. I mean, that, that's, let's face facts. That's what it, so it is stacked against the backups. But if that's the performance you're getting, and I'm talking about a performance against a good defense, but nowhere near an elite defense, and they ended up with, what, 166 total yards? In a, in, in a game where, yeah, the elements were a factor, but the elements also produced 320-some yards on the ground for Oregon. Oregon had 427 yards. Yeah, there was offense there to be had. I don't care what anyone says about the wind, the rain, and all that stuff. And Washington just had no answers whatsoever. When you take a look at the offensive stats, I mean, they really jump out with, you know, uh, first downs. Washington only had seven first downs where Oregon had 22. Seven first downs in a game. And only three outside of the one scoring drive in the second half. Yeah. Oregon with 329 yards rushing. Washington with 55. Um, total offense, Oregon with 427. Washington with 166. Total plays. Oregon with 76 plays and Washington only with 51. Yeah, Fetters and I... And 36 I and a half minutes. Fetters and I were asking, just kept going, why are they leaving just two down linemen in there? I don't... Uh, I, and to be fair, they played plenty of three down linemen, but they were, they were incredibly unwilling to stack the box and force Anthony Brown to win the game well, via the air. Where were the safeties lining up? The, usually if they weren't bringing... I mean... They, they Don Hampton would come yeah, down some twenty yards away, but yeah, but they were they did not dare Oregon to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. They did not. I mean, it's it's almost as if they have literally said we are allergic to putting more than like six or seven players in the box. Yeah. We just we absolutely abhor it. We can't do it. We don't see any upside to it. You know, this is a team that arguably has two first or second day draft picks at corner in Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. And they're not allowing them to be used in a way that can really best support the defense, which is put those guys on an island. If you need to play a safety back, play your play your cover one, play your, your high safety back if you want. But just, you know, pack the pack that room, pack that box. I thought Washington's defense played well enough to win. It's they just did. it's just that when the offense is constantly going three and out and you're constantly back out there on the field, you know, Oregon sure they scored twenty six points, you know, and you know, the last touchdown, you know, maybe throw that out the window, but um, I thought Washington's defense played well enough to win. It's just they're not getting off the field. Well, there's two things. Exactly, and that, that's the point. The and they, point they, is, they were worn down. They were worn down. 36 and a half minutes of possession by Oregon will do that to you. So they played well enough to win. And they were not in a position in the fourth quarter 
to get off the field playing the schemes that they were that they were playing. This is what made Jimmy Lake's decision so baffling to punt the ball deep. Now, granted, game's almost over by that point. I mean, you're it's hail mary time. You're you're throwing anything against the wall to see what sticks. But for him to punt the ball and then say post game he did it because he thought that if Oregon if they could hold Oregon they could get the ball back with like 50 seconds left and still down a touchdown. That that's all well and good in Jimmy Lake's pseudo world of magic and fun. But the bottom line is, in the second half, they didn't stop anybody, is, especially on the ground. Is there any, do you think anywhere in the back of his mind that he said, I don't want to give these guys the ball on the 10-yard line with two minutes left. I don't want to give them the, I don't want to possibly give them the ball if we fail on fourth down. Instead, he decides to, instead he decides to go um, punt it. And even if they don't get a stop, the chances of them scoring, and those, they probably won't want to score, and so the score looks better. This hasn't been a good week with Jimmy Lake. You know, it started with his comment about the academic prowess. Oh, um, question you asked. <laughs> well, I asked the question, but I, you know, he usually doesn't bite on that stuff. I think he wanted to go a lot more. I don't think it was as big a deal as the media made it out to be. It but, shouldn't have been a big deal. No, but, you know... Not only that, you know, and then you lose to the rival like this, but he lost his you-know-what on the sidelines with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, I can't remember his Rocky. first name. Rupert, Rupert Rocky Fuavai. He lost. He calls Rocky. He lo- and I was about 10, 15 yards away, away from what had happened, and I saw it, and Jimmy lost it, and he went nuts. And I was going to text you guys to, to you know, let you know what happened, but evidently ESPN caught it on camera, too. Well, they caught everything. They did the, they did the pick for Kenny Wheaton. They, they did all sorts of things for their game coverage because, obviously, they couldn't do they, – the, the cupcake footage was already gone. But, uh, you know, bottom line is they, they showed all that, and if they weren't going to show it, all the Oregon fans that were watching it were going to put it on Twitter. So that happened too. How bad was it? Um, what I saw well, was I pretty see, bad. I want to know how many how many eyes were rolling in the media post game when he said that he was simply separating them. That's that's what his comment. Separating was. players. Yeah, he was just sep- he was just separating them. Well, because thing he, I'll say he, is when you're that heated, maybe you don't realize you did something. Maybe he thought he did just separate them, but I get that. I totally get that, and I'm willing to give Jimmy the benefit of the doubt. Do I don't whatever. think he hits players I, and stuff like no, that. No, no, no. I absolutely don't believe that that's who he is at all. I don't, you know, in the heat of the moment, I get that that's an issue. What I don't understand is when you see that, and then you hear a coach saying how much they have to play with and 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 play the game with poise. Where is the disconnect there? Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't care if you think you think you were just separating guys or whether you did push a guy or hit a guy in the helmet, whatever. It doesn't really doesn't matter to me. Bottom line is you you lost your you lost your cool. You I've lost been, your cool in a big way. I've been around Jimmy a lot. You know, even back to Gilby's days, and I'm on the sidelines for every game. I've never seen him lose his cool like that. Oh, that's to me, that's a sure sign that he's up against it and he knows it. He knows it. He knows it big time. How big of a deal is it, Scott? Well, considering how the season look if Washington's eight and one right now or seven and two or whatever. Or if they'd won the game. Or or if they had won this game, probably not a big deal. But Washington is four and five. They're pro <laughs> they've got to go they've to assure themselves a bowl game, they have to go three and zero. Oh. The rest of the way, I don't see that happening, but we'll we'll see. 
But do they have to? Well, with the no, way they can win two games, they can they can be at six and six and yeah. be bowl eligible. Right. That doesn't mean they're going to be selected. Yeah. Seven and seven and five, you're selected. Yeah, but so, six six and six should okay, get them in. Anyway, I, I think so. Anyway, we're getting off the subject. He if if he was having a better season, probably not that big of a deal. But to me, if Jen Cohen is in her head going. Is this the guy or is this not the guy? Oh, believe me, and, she's thinking. Okay, I, I understand, but if that's what she's saying, this is one more check in the fire him column that she can just add to the list. You know, you talk wants. you talk about death by a thousand paper cuts. Uh, I think his comment on Monday and this are a little bit more than a paper cut. Okay, maybe maybe a, a knife cut. Well, something. but I thought you said that they, what that what he said on Monday wasn't that big of a deal. Well, and I and I kind of I've come over to your side a little bit. I. I think it was simply smack talk, and Jimmy was trying to put Oregon in their place, and he did it in such a bass-ackwards way that it ended up coming back to bite him in the butt, which is all fair and good. I mean, it's it's rivalry. It's rivalry week. And if they're going to take you to task on that, they're absolutely going to take him to task for that quote-unquote separation yeah. of the player. Because, yeah, in any, any objective person's world, like if you talk to anybody who literally just saw that as a single play who isn't an Oregon fan or a Washington fan and just saw that, they go, why in the hell is that, why in the hell is that coach going after his player like that? Because you know, it makes no sense. It literally makes no sense. Fuavai is actually moving back into the sideline. He's, he's retreating. He's not doing anything. And like you said, Kim, he just went off the handle. He, yeah, he lost He it. absolutely lost it. Yeah, uh, I wasn't able to see um, what happened after the game. What was going on after the just game? Just a little oh, extras. Just guys talking crap. And, and to the each thing other. is, is that the, the problem is there's so many players between Washington and Oregon that know each other for regional reasons. You know, from the area. Was it happening at the Washington end of the? Yeah, game? it was it happening was right, kind of right, right below the W. Yeah, right below the W. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, on there about was a, the 45 of the east. I think there was a lot of people that thought they needed to be separated, while there were other guys that were straggling over here that were just talking. Who's the instigator of the stuff over here? Did you see any? Um, um, I don't. It was it was some Oregon defensive backs, and then Savelle was in the middle of it a little bit. Yeah, but oh. the thing is, is and that then, the thing and is, then a couple of the the um, O linemen. Well, I was going to say too, and that, that kind of I I looked at it as a victory lap by Oregon when they took mm-hmm. those personal foul calls. When you know, I mean, and, and those were basically just guys. I mean, you could tell they were woofing, and they yeah. were. Yes. Well, and the thing is, the deep. I don't know. Okay, so offensive linemen, defensive linemen, it's right in the camera every play. You can see them battling against each other. There's always fights in camps, and it's almost always between offensive and defensive linemen, right? Maybe a linebacker or a running back. You guys do not. I, as someone who played wide receiver, and I watch it all the time. The Husky DBs and the Oregon wide receivers were going at it on almost every play. Do you remember those Andre Rise and Deion Sanders battles that they had a couple times? Oh, yeah. Or, and a couple of the, the uh, Terrell who Owens. Was the guy, who, was, who was DK Metcalf going up against last, last I, week? I don't know. But he's been going off on a lot of the different guys yeah. that they've been facing. Yeah. And... And it was the it was the Jaylen kid from Ramsey? the Saints. It was the oh, kid from okay. the Saints. I don't remember, but Lattimore. Yeah, Lattimore. Lattimore. That's who it was. So, Lattimore. but but you guys, if you don't, if you're not familiar with actually playing football, or you don't get a look at the full twenty-two, or you're not in the stadium watching that specifically, you don't see it. Those are some of the nastiest battles. Guys are cutting you. They're they're trying to get at your knees. Defensive backs will throw a fist into your face mask. 
and just and, or and they'll hit you in the face and assume that the referees aren't looking that closely on it and things like that. Those battles, so you could watch Kyler Gordon, you watch Trent McDuffie, um, Buki was in, getting into it a little bit too, Dominic Hampton, all all of the Husky DBs and all of the Oregon wide receivers were going at it, and they were a lot of the ones that were talking after the game too, at John at each other too. Yeah. So tough loss, yeah. a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. How, and, and how, again, hot, how hot is Jimmy's seat right now? Well, this goes back to what what I was talking about this morning. Um, in terms of, I really felt the quality of the loss because I we were I think we didn't we all predict a loss. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you were close. Yeah, you were and so close. we all predicted a loss. I still thought that there could be some kind of quote unquote style points. Like mm-hmm. again, we're talking about a playoff team in Oregon. I mean, you can debate whether or not you think they're a playoff team, but they're a playoff team right now, and they and they put together a performance tonight, and they beat Ohio State yeah. on the road, right. And Ohio State didn't look like any great shakes against Nebraska. No. So say what you want. They are in position to be in the playoff. I really thought that if Washington came to play and it was a fourth quarter game and you lose by a score or close enough, that it really wasn't going to weigh that heavily on kind of the, on Lake's hot seat. It probably wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have the way but the way it unfolded. And the fact that Washington not only had a legitimate chance to win this game, but they had a legitimate chance to really get ahead early and really put their foot on the throat and really kind of change the narrative altogether, I think the way they lost this game puts a lot of pressure on Jimmy I, right now. I think the, I think the, the, seat, the heat on the seat went way up. I think it was on simmer beforehand, especially with the Stanford win. As bad as Stanford looked on Friday night, I don't care. Washington hadn't beaten Stanford down there in so long, and it was a great win, and the, the, the team was excited. Everybody was excited about it. And um, for and so I, I would say that it went from medium down to simmer, and you just figure if he can go 2-2 two and two the rest of the way or whatever and get him into a bowl game, whatever. But losing a game like this to Oregon, a game you have a chance to win, a game that realistically, if you once again, if you had a competent offense, which this – team's identity right now is crappy offense and pretty good defense, I, I I don't know how he can't be feeling the heat. I think it's above media. I was going to say, Kim, too, there was one prominent media member who I won't identify, but after the game, he looked at me, and I don't think he's necessarily said this you know, before, whether... You publicly. Know, publicly, yeah. But he said, Fire and Lake right now is now on the table. This is legitimate. This mm-hmm. this could have some legs. It's not going to happen before the end of the year. It won't. It'll happen after it the won't. Apple Cup. But again, I if will, it happens, I I have been on the position. You guys know this that Jimmy. I mean, John Donovan has basically signed his pink slip. He's mm-hmm. out the door. I mean, everyone knows it. It's the worst kept secret in the world. It's going to have to happen. Jimmy Lake has shown nothing, in my opinion, that tells me he's understood the lessons of what's going on. And that he is going to pick someone that's actually going to run a competent offense. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is, you shouldn't stop with John Donovan. If the guy who made the hire in Donovan hasn't learned the lesson, you can't retain that guy. Mm-hmm. Simply right. put, it's just it's not feasible. It's not tenable. It's just it's you know. I, here's the thing, guys. They didn't get to play this game last year. This I guarantee you, this was a burr under their saddle. 
like no other game. Jimmy Lake had those guys firing and revving like nobody's business. They wanted to come out and set a tone. That's why they had some personal foul penalties on guys like Hampton and Lola Hay and what have you. They tried to set a tone. They wanted to be physical. They knew this was a different game. They should have been the team playing in the Pac-12 title game last year. Bottom line is Jimmy Lake invested a ton of effort and energy into this performance, and this was the result. If they had had anything about them, any trick, anything on offense, wouldn't have this been the game to like unveil it and show the world that, oh, well, this is... But the bottom line is, and I know you hate the cliches, Kim, but this is who they are. They are who they are. Well, yeah, I... It- I don't see anything changing. I really don't. Um, Dylan Morris, I just think that the offense has been put in a position and running a scheme that is so limited that I don't think you can really do anything. And, you know, Patrick O'Brien might be able to add a little bit of a spark, but right now, any changes, it's just rearranging the deck chairs. That's all that is. Kim, there's another thing, too. And, Scott, I don't know if we were able to confirm this, but wasn't there a. Five-star quarterback on campus? Supposed to be. I didn't see him, but that doesn't mean anything because all the tags yeah. were spinning. Of the wind. <laughs> In the wind. Yeah. So but apparently one of, the, one of the visitors today from a, from a future class was a 24? Uh, 2023. 2023. He's from Warren High School, which yeah. is the same one. Who's the running back that came up from there? Jesse Collier. Jesse Collier. Yeah. Yep. So anyways, five-star quarterback, by the way, of a future class. What's a five-star quarterback going to think about? Trying to run that offense yep. right now. Mm-hmm. So this is not just about what's happening now. So the way you now. sell it is, if you're Jimmy and you, you think you still have a chance of keeping your job, you say to the kid, this, our offense is going to be completely different next year. Our guy's already gone. And if, so. you, and if you are promising people that you're going to have a completely different offense, what confidence have you given the fans that yeah, you know what know. you're going to be looking for? I know. <clears throat> Let's wrap this up so I can dry out. Okay. Right. Um, didn't think I would ever say a 10-point loss to to uh, the fourth-ranked team in the country would be a bad loss, but this is a bad loss. Washington should have won this game. This is three games in a row that Washington has lost to Oregon that they should have won. 2018 should have won in regulation. 2019, uh, Jacob Eason doesn't throw three picks. Washington probably wins. And then this year, if Washington's offense comes out and plays like even a moderately competent offense plays, they probably win this game by seven points. Chris Fetters? Yeah, and I'm, see, Scott's usually the one that says, well, I pretty much wrapped that up. He, he pretty much wrapped up everything I would have said in a nutshell because, again, I was dead wrong. I really, truly felt like if, if all things being equal, if people see the scoreboard tomorrow and they see 26-16, they'll be like, oh, okay, Washington put up a fight. Pretty decent game. I don't know what what was the what was the line again? Like seven and a half, eight, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. So it wasn't like it wasn't it was, super off the it's charts. It's amazing how close those guys are. If that's really yeah, what it was. but it's but it, but again, it was it was it clearly was it must have been a, a well a well fought game. Must have had a lot of things going on. Um, obviously, Washington came to play. They kept it close. All this, none of that happened. None of that happened. Washington had a chance to jump on these guys early. Didn't take advantage of that. They kept Oregon in the game because they were too stubborn to stack the box. Like they haven't, they, they haven't done that all year long, and they've given up yards. It's the most obvious thing in the world, and they stick to their guns, and they think somehow that the result's going to be different. That is the definition of insanity, Kim Reynolds, and that's what we saw tonight. Monday's going to be interesting. 
it will be for no other reason than the question will be asked of Jimmy. Hey, you saw the uh, you saw the footage of you going after your player. Do you still think you were separating him? Yeah, um, I expect a big media contingent there on uh, on Monday. Yeah. So asking him about that, and uh, we'll see how Jimmy reacts. And uh, well, get... ultimately, Kim, I want to know from you personally, what do you think Jen Cohen should do about that? I, I I believe in the, the way Jen Cohen does things. You know, when she um, she did it with um, Lorenzo Romar, which means we're going to have a meeting at. I mean, Lorenzo was on the hot seat his final year, and Jen let him know that your. I mean, he knew his future was going to be dependent on the meeting at the end of the year, showing uh, Jen a plan going forward. And the plan he had going forward was basically my recruiting class, and I'll change coaches if you want me to. He had no plan with Mike Hopkins after last year. She wanted to see a plan for Mike Hopkins, you know, and he showed her the plan. He laid out what he was going to do, and he did it. And, you know, I know it was only an exhibition game, but, boy, it sure looked like he his plan is going to work. That's what's going to happen with Jimmy Lake. I think there's going to be a meeting after the year with Jen, and he's going to have to, you know, show me your plan going forward to next year. And if that plan is satisfactory, he'll be back. Well, if it's not, he won't. Right, and I get all that. I think we've pretty much laid that out very early on this season yeah. once the losses started coming. What I'm saying is when you see a situation where you said you're 15 yards away from it yeah. and you see a head coach put his hands on a player like Jimmy Lake did with Rocky Fulvai, is that a fireable offense? I don't know that that specific incident is a fireable offense, but things are adding up. At the end of the day, Jimmy has to prove, you know, there's one question. Because I don't to, necessarily think it is. I don't think the one is. But you're right, it is adding up. It isn't, it isn't what he hates. No, yeah. it isn't what the, he hates. The question that, needs, that Jen needs to answer, you know, and she's going to have to make this decision, is Jimmy like the guy? Is he the guy? And being 100% honest, I've seen some things in Jimmy Lake that could make him a quality head coach. But right now, if you were to ask me if he's the guy to take this program where it needs to go, I haven't seen it. And I'd say no right now. He, there would have to be some dramatic changes. I mean, I think that he would need to totally clean house on the entire coaching staff, and I hate to say that, but this just doesn't work. Jimmy doesn't have any strong personalities on his coaching staff. When uh, Chris Peterson was here, he had Pete Kwiatkowski, he had Jimmy Lake. Um, you know, he had guys that, you know, uh, on the staff that were strong personalities. And I don't see that on this, per on this coaching staff. Jimmy's running the, king, running the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, he's the boss. Yeah. His and, word goes. Like I said, I want to be on the record here. I don't think necessarily something like that is a fireable no. offense in my, in my world. Now, but I agree 100% with you, Kim. It's just one more tick, 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 tick. It's one more thing in the checking box. When you, it's one when you more wake thing. up in the morning and you're going, is Jimmy Lake the guy? Because that's the question that Jen Cohen is waking up to every single morning. Is Jimmy Lake the guy? Because that's what she has to be thinking but, but about. But like you you heard him in the press conference talking about poise, and then he does this. Exactly. No, that's where his words are ringing hollow right now. They they don't they're not worth the paper they're not printed on. Yeah. It's 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 unfortunate that he feels like he has to say those things when you know, like I said, 
I don't know how Jen Cohen is going to feel about it. I don't know how Anna Marie Costa is going to feel about stuff like that. I don't necessarily think it should rise to the level of a fireable offense. But in this day and age, I don't know. If, if, if Jen's thinking at all about the potential of, of letting a guy like that go, could she use it as a pretense yeah. and say, you know what, we, we, we can't tolerate it. It's, it's, a zero to, it's a zero tolerance type situation. Another home game next week with uh, Arizona State coming into town. Four, yeah. four o'clock. Four o'clock start. Um, Hopefully they keep getting you know yeah. earlier and earlier. <laughs> two bas- two basketball games this week. Uh, basketball on Tuesday. Basketball on Thursday. So uh, we'll be all over that. We're in our busy time of year where football and basketball collide. So it's uh, it's. Uh, a little bit busy. So, hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.